love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. We make each other better. She always reminds me about what actually matters. You know, love conquers all. Wherever he is, I I want to be there, always. She just always accepted me for who I was. He makes me a better person. It was like love at first sight. Well, love is the most important thing. You walk through the door and it's welcoming and bright. There's just this comfort and this coziness and this home-like feeling. And that's what we strive for. People bring in their own paintings and artwork and blankets and mementos and, and make their room their own home because that's what we are. We want to be a home for our patients and their loved ones every single day of the year. Hi, I'm Nancy Regan. This week's love story is a departure from our regular fare, and in fact, it's a place of departures. Hospice is a special approach to palliative or end-of-life care, and it encompasses not just the physical, but also emotional and spiritual needs of patients and their loved ones. I talked to Mackenzie and Kate from Hospice Halifax about this shining light in the darkness. This is the Canadian Love Map. Kate and Mackenzie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Why don't we start by you telling me where you've just come from, Mackenzie? Sure. So I've just come from Hospice Halifax uh, from a group sing-along that we had in our great room upstairs uh, led by our music therapist with three of our patients and a number of our staff. And they were singing Christmas carols. Absolutely. We kicked it off with Frosty the Snowman, led into Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer, threw in a little silent night there and come all be faithful. But yeah, everyone was shaking their shakers and we had a tambourine, some bells. It's fun. So this seems to me, the reason I wanted to start with that is that that is emblematic of what happens at hospice. And I'd like you to talk about how that represents what goes on there in general. Yeah. I mean, today is a perfect example. There, there was a lot of laughter and you could hear the joyful singing and and kind of that holiday spirit coming out down through the hall and, and everywhere. And it's a lot of what we do is a lot of laughter, a lot of making memories, a lot of just enjoying life. Um, of course, we have our tough days. We are a place where folks die um, and there's a lot of grief in the building, but there's equally, if not more, love and joy and laughter and fun and memories and the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't talk about death without talking about life like exactly yeah they coexist so (laughs) yeah you can't have one without the other (laughs) ever yeah and yet our society still holds so much stigma so much darkness around death Mm -hmm. and and i think hospice goes a long way toward battling that in a way yeah we try we we provide a space for folks to experience death and dying and grief, where there's others in the building who understand what you might be going through. And and while everyone experience is absolutely unique and different and, and uniquely theirs, everyone in the building 
knows what's going on and, and is comfortable uh, being uncomfortable with the unknown of of dying, the unknown of of death and what comes next and the unknowingness of how you continue to live when your loved one's not with you. Mm-hmm. And and so much of that sort of darkness or that stigma, I think, is so wrapped up in fear. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I think the benefit of of hospice is that it's a place where you can come, you can share your fears, but also we can alleviate a lot of those fears. We can we can walk you through, you know, some of the expected symptoms you might have and how we might treat those and and let you know, you know, we're here, we're going to help. These are the things that we have. These are the things we can do 24/7 to alleviate any suffering as it comes about and so taking away a little bit of that fear of any sort of unnecessary suffering um taking off a bit of that burden from families or caregivers so that they can just spend time with their loved one. They don't have to be their partner's nurse up until yeah. they die. They can be their their partner and and just spend that time together. And That's so, a huge one, isn't yeah. it? Really, mm-hmm. taking that responsibility off of spouse or children, mm-hmm. even parents, yeah, mm-hmm. so that they can just be there and be in the relationship rather than be a caregiver. Mm-hmm. So I want to say we're talking about your particular hospice, but of course this applies to the concept in general, and there are many across the country, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many. In fact, I was actually so surprised. I'm originally from Ontario, and so moving to Nova Scotia, I was actually so surprised that Hospice Halifax was the first ever hospice in the province because you know, even the little tiny community that I was coming from had a hospice and had a hospice for quite some time. So it's it's quite well established, I think, throughout Canada. And I think it's it's a little bit newer to the Maritimes and to Nova Scotia in particular, but it's an important service and it is a well-established service in general across Canada, I would say. So one of the things I think that makes this story right for this time of year, some people would say, really, why are you doing this now during the holidays? But I think it's such a love story. And you talk about fear being the reason for stigma around death. Love is the opposite of fear, arguably. And when people come into hospice, they are met with so much love, but also so many people who are very comfortable with the subject of death. And that must that must have such an impact on patients who are coming through your doors. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're never going to avoid a hard conversation at hospice. And so I think for the first time, some people are able to ask really frank questions and have really frank answers. And, you know, people aren't going to avoid those sort of dark jokes or anything like that, that, that people want to make, you know, it's what Mm -hmm. they're going through and they want to share it. And um, so that might be the first time they've been able to have those sorts of conversations without making someone they love really uncomfortable. And and we can kind of, we can handle that. But I think hospice is such a place of love. I am so proud to work with the team that I get to work with there. It's like at every level, there's just so much love that you would get to see in any day and any shift, like whether that's from our housekeeper picking out like the perfect quilt to welcome a patient to their space, our food services staff making a patient's favorite desserts and stocking their mini fridge with like tons of leftovers so they can eat their favorite dessert all week, mm-hmm. or one of the nurses like helping a patient, you know, early in the shift to get a full face of makeup done or paint her nails because she was really used to sort of that routine and, and that way of kind of showing herself to the world and and wanting to maintain that. So it's it's really beautiful these like little acts of 
of love and and care that you you get to see when you're you're in hospice. And so they're called patients, but you clearly really treat them as people, as individual human beings. And I know that you you really do a lot to figure out who they are and what things they love before they arrive. Mm-hmm. And and we refer to our patients and loved ones. So any friends, family, visitors, those are loved ones. Mm-hmm. Who are we to say who that circle is around you at end of life? Whether it's your neighbors or your family or friends, it, it doesn't matter to us. They're just your loved ones. Um, and we we see our patients as their loved ones' loved ones. Like that, It's such a term that we use on a daily basis around everything that we do so that you can just – from that alone, you can see how much love is is in the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, I was witness to the amazing work you do just about uh, two months ago um, because my godmother was uh, in hospice and had a very peaceful, beautiful death. And she was 82. And she was a great example of someone who, you know, she said, Look, I've had a wonderful life. I've everything I've done has been a success. Why would I ever resent dying now? She was ready. She was so appreciative of the loving environment and just everything that was done for her. But I also was in that circle of love that you refer to Mackenzie with my friend Audrey Parker who died 4 years ago and I bring her up because she was kind of instrumental in getting Hospice Halifax going. She was. We would not exist without her. There are a number of of key folks who have led their passion in their life, and Audrey is certainly one of those, where she was just so passionate about ensuring that this existed for Nova Scotians beyond her and kind of leaving her legacy. And that idea of leaving a legacy is something that we bring every day to hospice uh, in every work that we do and and from our social workers, our nursing team, uh, our, our development and admin team upstairs where I am, we really focus in on on that legacy and, and who you are and, and what you're going to leave and how folks will remember you. And Audrey, she is all over Hospice Halifax. She And, and to give you perspective, like Kate said, Hospice Halifax only opened up three and a half years ago. And we were the first hospice in Nova Scotia. But we've existed as a society since the early 2000s. And oh, so it took us right. from the early 2000s until opening our building doors in 2019 to get hospice up off the ground. That's years, decades of work to be able to open and teach people what hospice care is and what we provide and the benefits of it for our community as a whole and the love and the joy and how we address death and dying and how we're there to just support everyone. Audrey was a big piece of that. She shared her story with us so that we could help teach people about what a good death can look like and what the future of death and dying for Nova Scotians can be and how it doesn't need to necessarily be this lonesome, terrible thing that happens, you know, kind of off in the corner. It can be this beautiful experience with your loved ones all around you, with those comforts being provided, um, where kind of some of the burdens can be alleviated through hospice care. Mm -hmm. You know, her quote that she loved to say to people is that she wanted to change the way people thought. And she said, our last breath should be honored and celebrated in the same way our first breath is. And I always thought that was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that, Kate, does that that sort of symbolize what um, your approach is? in you're you're an actual nurse in the hospice is that the operating manual for people do you know what i mean yeah i think it is yeah that that tender loving care 
that that people enter into this world it should be that same tender loving care that they get as they as they exit and i i think there's probably no one that works in palliative care now that doesn't really really feel that and really believe that and also who wouldn't know audrey's name like mm-hmm. she's such a force and all of the work that she did has been so important and so instrumental to palliative care to medical assistance and dying legislation like she's just been such a force so i think having those those patient experiences though and and patients that share their story in that way is also so important to us as healthcare providers because we might think we know you know what we're doing or what patients need and what uh what kind of care we want to deliver, but it's it's so helpful to get that first person perspective from patients like Audrey who can say, you know, this is what this is what it should look like, this is what it could look like. It's mm-hmm. and it really can inspire your own vision for your own practice and and how you care. For the record, Audrey is someone um, just for listeners who've never heard of her. She is someone who, in um, planning her own death. She did one final trip, and it was to Paris, and she went and she bought a vintage Chanel bag at a secondhand vintage place and paid way more than I've ever paid for a bag. But she said to the people, I need a purse that would fit a two-pound bag of sugar. And the person sort of tilted their head and said, okay, yeah. And Audrey said, "Uh, let me explain. Please don't feel awkward about this, but I want to put my ashes in this bag. And that's how, you know, positive and how much, I don't know, of a fresh focus she brought to to dying. And I know that one of the things that really kept her busy and engaged in the last months of her life was actually helping to plan the decor for the hospice building. So, and now, of course, you have the compassionate closet. Tell me about that. Yeah, so the Compassionate Closet is a new to you boutique and thrift store out in Sackville. So it's kind of kind of like the place where Audrey bought that bag. <laughs> it's a vintage shop, um, and so we've got a lot of vintage stuff and also a lot of more modern. But essentially, folks, much like Valley Village, Mission Mart, the works you you drop off your stuff. Our team sorts through it, and folks can come and purchase with a purpose. So every uh, every dollar of a transaction that's gone through the Compassionate Closet comes right back to hospice care and helps fund hospice. Is Halifax um, because we are a nonprofit. So that's one of our revenue streams that keeps us going. And uh, if you ever pop into the compassionate closet, you'll see on the wall Audrey's little things because uh, she was a big component, I believe, in, in believing that the little things make a difference and, and, and kind of enjoy those little moments of life. So uh, the compassionate closet is a little node to her. And also, it's important to springboard off that to say that when people go through hospice, there is no cost to them. Absolutely Mm -hmm. not. Everything is free. Extraordinary service for free. You know, they've paid taxes, I know. But Mm -hmm. Kate, what do you love most about being a hospice nurse? What I love most is that it's the only care environment right now that I believe I would be able to provide the nursing care that I want to provide. So it's a care environment where I can take the time to be with my patients. It's a care environment where I get to know patients in a really holistic, integrated way. I get to know their support network. I get to know their history, their fears and their loves and and what makes a good life for them beyond just sort of their diagnosis and their, their symptom profile and those sorts of things. And where I have the time to spend like extra extra time and go over and above. Our clinical team always talks about and 
again, our support services team always talks about going over and above and what does that look like for each individual patient. And so at hospice, I'm able to leave my shifts feeling really good about the care that I provided and feeling feeling like I was able to do what I know I could do uh, and able to make a little bit of an impact on that person's life. And we all kind of know about the nursing crisis right now across Canada. And it's that I just don't think you can say that in very many nursing environments right now. You can't really leave your shift feeling like you were able to give the care that you know you could provide, um, but that the system prevents you from providing. Um, but at hospice, we're able to do that. And and that makes such a difference. And it's such a such a relief. And it's it's it makes for a much better work environment, for sure. What drew you to this work? Well, the full story would be that I got really sick when I was 18 and was in and out of hospital a lot. And at a time when I, you know, like you're 18, your life isn't very fragile. You don't, you think you're kind of invincible. And so um, just sort of being faced with uh, my own mortality, I guess, at a younger age, I, I was kind of scared. And what would it mean if I didn't get to live until, you know, my 80s and what does a good life look like? So it opened lots of questions like that for me. And I guess working in palliative care became almost like exposure therapy. <laughs> it was sort of like, well, I this is what scares me. So I'm just going to jump right in and dig right in and see what it's all about. Lean in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's uh, an amazing reason for starting in this field. And obviously, it started you out with empathy and compassion. So you have been busy with a project to help raise money for Hospice Halifax. Tell us about that. Yeah, this year marked the third annual um, Kate's Memorial Ride. And so that's a fundraiser that I started during COVID when, as Mackenzie said, we are a not-for-profit. So hospice does rely on, on donor support in order to fulfill its operating budget. And during COVID, we couldn't gather in the same ways. We couldn't do the same sort of fundraisers that we were used to doing. And I knew I had wanted to do some sort of annual activity that would be a way for me to take a whole day to honor the legacies of all the patients that I'd cared for. That was something I kind of made a commitment to when I came into this field is taking that moment to pause and really remember everyone. So between that and realizing we were really going to need some new creative ideas for for fundraising, that's where the bike ride came from. So every year I bike one kilometer for every patient who's died at Hospice Halifax over the previous year. Um, so I've biked, you know, from Lunenburg to Halifax or from, you know, Muscadabit into Halifax, a couple different routes now. And yeah, it usually raises, you know, between twenty to $30,000 a year, which is great and far and above what I thought we could do. So it's, uh, but it's been great because, I, you know, I'm not a professional cyclist, so it takes me a long time. So it means it's not this sort of 15-minute ceremony, which is also important and beautiful, but it's a full day for me where I really, you know, I'm really in it and I'm really thinking about everyone and and reflecting and on my work and reflecting on my patients and reflecting on my my colleagues and and the work that we do at hospice. Mackenzie, what do you love about your job? So my job uh, is in fundraising. So I work upstairs and that means that I don't have the same connections with our patients that Kate does. My connections are more after a patient has died and their loved ones 
um, are sharing their experience of hospice, giving in memory of their loved one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where where I really build the connections. I love hearing about the care that our team provides. And I love hearing just how grateful people are for the care that they got and that they didn't expect it. You know, we didn't know what to expect, but we walked in the door and everyone knew our name. And, you know, I never had to ask, but dad really wanted scallops for dinner. That was his favorite thing. And so next thing you know, there's scallops there on his plate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he turns to me and asks, I must be in heaven. How much is this costing us? Um, Those those are what I reflect on and just feel so proud to be a part of that and also a part of someone's journey and an experience after death of how do they want to give thanks? How do they want to honor their loved one? And oftentimes it's through giving back to our, our team through a donation, through hosting an event, through, you know, just sharing their story. A lot of families ask, what can I do to keep this going? How can I pay this forward? Uh, and that's what I love about my job is just being a part of that. Yeah. You know, it makes me think familiarity trumps fear. And when people go into that kind of environment and realize, oh, it's very different than I thought, then they become the best advocates in a way. We couldn't share the great stories that we do here on the Canadian Love Map podcast without the amazing support of Charm Diamond Centres. They are Canada's largest family-owned jeweler, and they're proud to be putting love on the map. The folks at Charm Diamond Centres are thrilled to be a part of your love story. So visit CharmDiamondCentres.com or one of your local stores. Love starts here. Tell me about Light Up Life. Light Up a Life, yeah. So that was a brand new event that we're actually going through right now, this month in December. Uh, It stemmed from the UK. So uh, the UK is very popular for the hospice movement. It kind of started there. They've been running for decades and decades and decades. They've got a lot of time on us. So they know know what works and they know how to kind of incorporate it into their community. So they run this program called Light Up a Life every holiday season. And we decided this year that we would kind of take what our friends across the pond have learned and implemented here. So Light Up a Life is an opportunity for anyone in our community to dedicate a light in memory of their loved one who has died, who's no longer with us this holiday season, who, you know, maybe you think of a little extra when you're setting the table or decorating a gingerbread house that you always used to do with them or whatever that tradition is, you really feel their presence missing. Uh, We wanted to provide a space where folks can honor that. We launched it on December 3rd with our gathering. And every night this month, we have a wall outside of hospice where we project every single light. So folks have submitted their loved one's names. Some of them have submitted photos. And so one by one, those names and those photos shine across the screen and gives each one of them their time to shine and for us to honor them. And we've seen you know, we had about 300 people at our gathering the first night we launched it, and we had a choir singing, and we had some hot chocolate, and and just spent some time together. One of our social workers did a guided reflection um, to really create that space for you to think of your loved one. But since then, we've had evenings where, you know, I've left a little late, and I can see that there's someone parked in the parking lot with their loved one just watching and waiting to see that name fly across the screen. Mm-hmm. Folks have gone and say, you know, we're going to go pick up dad from from Northwood and we're going to come down and we're going to sit there and watch. Uh, And that's been really powerful just to see the community responding in a way 
that shows that there is a gap. There's a gap this time of year when it comes to grief. The holiday season is usually full of joy and laughter and singing and traditions, and it's all this warm, fuzzy feeling is what we expect. But if you've had a loved one die, you might not always feel that same sense of festiveness um, Mm -hmm. that society expects from you. In fact, you might feel a huge deficit because everyone else is so joyful and you feel like you're supposed to be, but you feel the opposite. So suddenly you're feeling like you're in this alone and you're the only one experiencing it. When we look at that wall and there's over 250 names, there's over 250 families who have experienced something similar. And yes, again, they're all unique and every experience is different, but there's a little bit of sense of community around I'm not the only one who's noticed that maybe I'm not quite feeling that same joy I would last Christmas. Or maybe, you know, it's been 20 years, but this year something feels a little different because, you know, it's the first Christmas in a new home or or with a new grandbaby or or so. And, you know, the list goes on of all the firsts and seconds and years down the road. There's no timeline on grief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's really what we wanted to show with this event. But it really does help to know that others are going through the same thing. It's why grief groups are so powerful yeah. that, you know, you are, you're not any longer alone in your experience. You have that sense of connection. I love the fact that the light, the lights in Light Up Alive are, you know, really addressing that darkness that we talked about that so many people hold around death. And I am so amazed by the work you do. I also, it occurs to me that, Kate, when you talk about how wonderful it is as a nurse to have that experience of being able to spend the extra time and to get to know people, of course, as I hear through Mackenzie's words, the flip side is the patients have a very different experience than most patients have in our healthcare system right now in hospitals, for Mm -hmm. for instance. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so much talk of patient family centered care as like the gold standard of care and i think you know i think every healthcare provider is out there trying to to give that care right now i think it's really hard to do within the circumstances that a lot of people are finding themselves in in the system but i think at hospice we really are able to achieve like such high quality patient family centered care and you know the light up a life campaign is just one like it's just that that way of reaching you know yes we give the best quality of care to our patients, but we give the best quality of care to their loved ones too, to their families, you know, while they're in hospice, but also after they're gone. So um, we remain like a touch point. We offer bereavement services. We offer grief groups. Our care extends just beyond the the patient that's that's in the room. I think that would surprise a lot of people. And not only that, but that program extends beyond those who have been in hospice care. It extends to the province as a whole. Anyone who has experienced the death of a loved one can find grief and bereavement support at Hospice Halifax for free. I'm so glad to know that. Can you tell me a particular story of someone who has gone through Hospice Halifax who really sort of cemented for you how right the path is for you in terms of the contribution you're making? There's been so many patients now over the years. One patient that stands out in my mind, she was she was a retired nurse and she was quite young, came to us after spending some time on a hospital unit where she'd built a lot of really strong relationships with the staff there. So she was actually a bit nervous to come to hospice. But I was like, don't worry, guys, we're going to win her over. We always win people over. <laughs> like, I'm never worried about that. And, you know, over time, just 
seeing her sort of open up and be able to invite her whole family to come and, you know, her grandkids, they, we have a little toy room upstairs. So she got to go upstairs to the toy room with her grandkids and she really got to spend some quality time. She got to make some special requests for things that, um, she wanted to do with her time that she had left. And, you know, those over and above requests are always the ones that really stick out in your mind. Like those, you know, those photo shoots that you do with families and, you know, we've even hosted a wedding or special movie nights, you know, where our events person, Michael, even like puts little LED track lights up in the, the shared common space upstairs, gets a popcorn machine, the whole works. So those those little acts of over and above are always the ones that stand out. But yeah, this this patient really came to us really nervous, symptomatically not very well managed and just very afraid of of dying and just to sort of see her transformation as she eased into her new life and routine at hospice, seeing her take advantage of some of the support services that were there, also seeing her husband get some support, you know, support that he hadn't had in a long time as her primary caregiver and getting some rest and getting to have his own routine where he, you know, he would go upstairs every morning and make a coffee. And I think those those patients, they, they stick with you. Everyone has those stories. And I, I remember I was in a library not too long after she died. I was I was on shift when she died. And uh, I heard this really familiar voice. And I, I turned around and it was it was uh, this patient's husband. And he I I didn't I I was kind of behind a bookshelf. I didn't want to bother him. And uh, but I could hear him. He was tutoring little kids and he was just doing such a good job. He was being so kind. He was being so patient, making little jokes. And it just like yeah, it just made my heart so happy to know, you know, he's still out there. He's still doing wonderful things. And oh my gosh, she would be so proud of him. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think those patients that you, that you, like I, I admitted her and I was there on the day she died. So those patients, they stick, they stick with you for sure. I'm listening to you and I see this sort of visual image of of people going into hospice, maybe coming through the door clenching. So mm -hmm. this is like, you know, a physical reaction and, and mental and emotional, everything clenching against what's coming and the unknown. And then you helping people relax into it. And I cannot imagine a greater gift than helping people have a have a peaceful and dare I even say joyful end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I often try to think like, what would I be feeling if I was walking through those doors knowing this was the last place I was ever going to live? Like, mm -hmm. no, I, I'm never getting to go home again. And this is, this is it for me. And sort of taking in that new surroundings and it must be so overwhelming. And I think our patients are so brave for doing that. At the same time, you know, we've also, we've cared for some some precariously housed or homeless patients who this might actually be the first time they've ever had a room of their own for such a long time too. Wow. And so it's different for every person and, and there is that clenching and it's for different reasons for each person. But yeah, that just seeing that sort of almost like a deep breath and that slow easing into the space is really beautiful. Seeing people kind of able to ask for what they need, 
um, able to get their symptoms better under control so that they can do some of the things that they want to do that they haven't been able to do. It must be so gratifying for you, knowing that's what your work is, to watch people make that transition, and I use that word advisedly, but transition from fear into the acceptance and the comfort that you offer. And I just want to say thank you. Like, what an amazing way to contribute to the world. Thank you. Thank I think you. it's, yeah, it it gives back as much, you know, to me as, as uh, you know, we might give to the patients. It's a beautiful place to work and it's amazing. And our team is incredible in doing it. Like, everyone brings um, a unique talent and a unique skill set, right? Like, we have, in addition to our nursing team, we have a music therapist who oftentimes really helps with that fear and anxiety, right? She goes in with her her uh, guitar and and just spends some time with the family, reconnecting, telling stories, whatever it may be that they need through music. We have our social worker as well. We have a number of them who do a lot of different work every day, everything from you know, supporting family to filling out forms. And, and well, the nursing team is there to focus on uh, what are your needs and, and what comforts do you need from a medical perspective uh, and your physical care? What other uncertainties do you have? What, what else are you scared of? Are, are you worried about what finances look like at end of life? What your will looks like around your family? Um, that's where our team steps in and provides support there too, not just with the medicine. And that's really special. If there's one message about hospice that you want people to know, what would it be? I would want people to know that if they're at home and they're caring for a loved one with a, a terminal illness and they're feeling up against the wall, like they're just feeling they don't know how they can keep doing it and that they're trying so hard. I know they're working so hard and they're probably doing an absolutely amazing job, but that if they're reaching their limit, there is a place where they can go and where their loved one can receive care so that they can transition from being a caregiver to just being with their loved one, um, where they can, they can get the rest that they need. They can get the support that they need. They can, they can know that their loved one is going to be cared for um but but they don't have to keep doing that themselves they don't have to be alone there is a team that's here and we want to help you know we started this conversation and you were saying uh life and death are inextricable but i think what i'm learning is that hospice is as much for the living as it is for the dying oh absolutely absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. And I think that's something that I want people to know is that when you think of of death and dying, you know, you often think of black and dark clouds and and kind of this this looming sadness and quietness. And that's not what we are. If you ever have a chance to come down and visit us at Hospice Halifax, you walk through the door and it's welcoming and bright and the design is so inspired by nature. And, and I think that's in part from Audrey, but there's just this comfort and this coziness and this home-like feeling, and that's what we strive for. I mean, all of our patient rooms are ever-changing because depending on who's in there, they look different because people bring in their own paintings and artwork and mm -hmm. and blankets and uh, mementos and, and make their room their own home because 
that's what we are. We want to be a home for our patients and their loved ones mm-hmm. um, every single day of the year. And we're serious and solemn sometimes when necessary, but it's it's also fun. We have fun. We There's jokes. There's exactly. silliness. Zippy, Zippy like, the Elf visits us all December um, and finds himself in precarious situations around hospice, sunbathing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The nurses are very creative at yeah. hiding Zippy the elf. <laughs> yeah, they've done yeah. some crazy yeah. stuff. Yeah, our little yeah. elf on the shelf. He has fun this time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing because it it's such whether it's a hospice that you are at or any of the hospices you know across the country, they are doing such amazing work in their communities. Such a contribution. Thank, thank you. you. We wouldn't exist without our community. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you both so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Love Map. If you love us, please subscribe and share. And if you want to help us spread the love even more, rate and review our podcast. It makes such a difference. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter.